This is AWLS, Podcasts on Wilderness Medicine, from the University of Utah School of Medicine. Hi, this is Carrie Woodruff. I'm an assistant professor lecturer in the Department of Nutrition and Integrative Physiology at the University of Utah. I am a sport dietitian by training, and today we're going to talk about caffeine and its application to wilderness activity and sports performance. So we often get the question, should I be consuming caffeine and what is the relevance of caffeine in exercise, sports, going out for a hike, whatever it may be that you're doing to be active. Um, And it's helpful to know that there are actually relatively few um, supplements and products that have shown to have an ergogenic benefit. And when I say ergogenic benefit, that means performance enhancing benefit. And caffeine is one of those products. Now we should know that with caffeine and with all supplements, the, the magnitude of the benefit, meaning how much it's it's going to have an effect is going to vary by individuals and it won't have as big of an effect as some other factors such as hydration and proper nutrition, but there can be a time and a place to consider caffeine consumption. Um, What we know from the research is that the amount of caffeine that is shown to have a benefit is three to six milligrams of caffeine per kilogram of body weight. Now, for most individuals, that's going to equate to about a cup of coffee or about 100 to 200 milligrams of caffeine. If you want to know your own amount, you can just take your body weight in pounds divided by 2.2. That will give you your body weight in kilograms. And so you multiply that by three, you multiply it by six, and that gives you the range of how much caffeine has been shown to have a benefit. What's interesting from a historical perspective is that we used to think that caffeine's benefit came from its increased uh, lipolysis and increased um, uh, the the freeing of free fatty acids in the blood and that it, it had its effect through that mechanism. And while there might be a slight Um, effect of caffeine on fat metabolism, really what we know now is that caffeine's mechanism of action really is centered on the central nervous system. There are some muscular benefits such as increased calcium release, but um, most of its benefit seems to come from its its, uh, effect on our central nervous system. So what that means is that if we're out running, if we're hiking, if we are participating in our sport, it the benefit of caffeine is that it allows us to train harder without um, feeling that increased intensity. So it, it lowers the rating of perceived exertion. So let's say normally I'd go out for a run and on a scale of how hard I was working, I'd say I was working at a level six. Well, with caffeine, maybe I take Um, you know, 100 milligrams of caffeine, I go out for a run, I still might rate it at a six, but I might actually be working harder and potentially running faster. So it, it, it decreases the amount of work that we perceive that we're doing. So that's um, its primary mechanism, though, as I mentioned, there are some other mechanisms in the body as well. In terms of timing of caffeine, we recommend that individuals consume it about an hour before they're going to go out to their activity. It seems to peak anywhere um, in the blood, anywhere between uh, 30 minutes and 120 minutes, so two hours. So we say about an hour is when it peaks, and um, and then it's going to have a half-life of around four to six hours. So you can think about, you know, if you're going to be exercising for a couple hours, you probably only need one 
dose of caffeine. There are lots of products that are available to us for caffeine consumption. And if you're familiar at all with sport, sport nutrition products, you're probably seeing that there are more and more products that uh, list caffeine on the label. So um, one example would be sports gels and uh, shop blocks, like clip shop blocks, though there are lots of other products. And what's nice about these products is that they, well, there's a couple of benefits of these types of sport nutrition products. So one is that they're going to list the actual amount of caffeine on the label. So you know if you're going to get, let's say, 50 milligrams of caffeine, and that helps you to plan out your caffeine intake. That um, is compared to coffee. Now, coffee has a range of 120 milligrams per per 16 ounce serving, but that can really range widely. We don't actually know how much caffeine we're getting from, let's say a cup of coffee. So if you go to Starbucks, you might be getting 180 milligrams, but if you have a homebrew coffee, it could be as low as 60 milligrams per serving. So the nice thing about products that have caffeine added to them is that if you can see the amount, then you, you have a better idea of how much to be consuming. Um, And I say this because we'll talk about some of the risks of excessive caffeine consumption, and we want to avoid consuming too much caffeine. Um, The other benefit of sport nutrition products that have caffeine is that they're also likely to have carbohydrate, glucose. And we know that for extended exercise, let's say more than 90 minutes, if you're going to go out for a long hike in the wilderness, for example, you want to consume some carbohydrate every hour um, during your exercise to prevent glycogen depletion or, or depleting your energy stores. The sport nutrition literature tells us that we should be consuming approximately 30 to 60 grams of carbohydrate per hour. So I like shop blocks. And so for me, that means that I'm going to consume anywhere from four to six shop blocks every hour. And if I choose to consume the shop blocks that have caffeine in them, then that allows me to also have a regular consumption of caffeine if I'm monitoring how much the shop blocks have. Now, I'm not a rep for Cliff products. I'm not suggesting you need to consume shop blocks. It's just one example of a product. Um, Some people really like the gels and the goos. That's also a great option. And what you'll notice is that a lot of these products will have anywhere from 30 to 50, maybe 60 milligram per serving. Um, oftentimes with the recognition that you might be consuming multiple servings. So just keep your eye out on exactly how many servings you're consuming because, you know, if someone goes through three sleeves of shop blocks, for example, that could risk consuming too much caffeine. Um, So now's probably a good time to talk about caffeine intoxication. When we say that the research shows that consuming three to six milligrams per kilogram of body weight, that seems to be a moderate amount that may have minimal side effects of caffeine consumption, but don't risk excessive um, signs and symptoms, though there are certainly variations between individuals. So with minor risks, we might see some jitteriness. We might see, um, you know, a little bit of shakiness. We might see a little bit of GI distress, but we shouldn't see significant side effects. Um, however, there are some individuals who are very sensitive to caffeine, and there seem to be some genetic differences between individuals that can dictate why there can be um, some individuals who are more prone to be sensitive to caffeine consumption. 
And so as with any sport nutrition product, I always recommend trialing what you're going to use in um, lower stakes practices, let's say, or lower stakes events before you go out for a big event and try something new. So if you're training for a big hike or a big, um, a big expedition, you're going to want to practice with the types of foods and products you'll be consuming during, during your training before you go out for the big event. And caffeine would be no exception. So you want to have a, a general sense of of how caffeine makes you feel if you're not a habitual caffeine user and what the sweet spot seems to be for managing the signs and symptoms. But usually the moderate, mild to moderate signs and symptoms can be well tolerated and, um, and through habituation, some of those symptoms might decrease slightly. Now with excessive can- caffeine consumption, and that might be, let's say nine or 10 milligrams per kilogram of body weight or more, which, you know, for a 70 kilogram adult, that would be something to the magnitude of six to 700 milligrams of caffeine. That's where you're more likely to see significant side effects um, and can risk hypotension, hypertension, much more um, extreme medical effects of excessive caffeine consumption. It's also helpful for athletes to know that here in the United States, the NC2A organization that oversees collegiate athletics and WADA, the World Anti-Doping Agency um, internationally who regulates um, many sports, they dictate that caffeine consumption um, should not surpass 10 milligrams per kilogram of body weight. For WADA, for the NCAA, it's slightly higher in the U.S., Um, and that is also to decrease risk of caffeine intoxication as well as preventing um, other side effects from from consuming too much caffeine. So there is such thing as too much of a good thing. Some is good, but more is not necessarily better. So really aiming for that sweet spot of caffeine consumption. Now, many people, and actually 90%, I think actually 96% of caffeine consumption worldwide comes in the form of coffee, tea, caffeinated um, soda drinks like uh, Coca-Cola or Dr. Pepper, for example, all which have caffeine. Um, Those are sources of caffeine, but for sport performance, it's just helpful to keep in mind that as we mentioned, we don't know the exact amounts. So you might be going out for a long hike, you may some coffee in the morning and um, you can receive benefits from that. But if you're really focusing on trying to maximize the sweet spot, you might consider other sources of caffeine that have the listed amount on the packaging. We talked about some sport nutrition products there are new products coming on the on the market now. There are gums that have caffeine contained in them. Um, there are other mouth rinses and and other types of products. So you'll see caffeine widely available. Um, and if you know the exact amount, also caffeine supplements um, are a commonly consumed source of caffeine in the sport setting. And again, it's just nice to know the amount that you're consuming. Um, it used to be thought that coffee as a source of caffeine was frowned upon because in in the context of sports and activities because it was believed that caffeine had a negative impact on hydration status and while there might be a, a mild temporary increased diuretic effect or increase in diuresis of producing urine or 24-hour um, fluid studies show that, that the, the fluid balance over a 24-hour period of time seems to be well-regulated and is not negatively impacted by, 
by coffee consumption, caffeine consumption. And so um, other than maybe needing to urinate, you know, within the first hour of, of, of consuming coffee, there's no risk to it negatively impacting our hydration status. So if it's helpful to know, even coffee does contribute towards our daily fluid intake, um, as do other caffeinated containing beverages. So I think that's some good news for those who were worried about how caffeine might impact their fluid balance. Another source of caffeine that I do like to address include um, or are energy drinks. And that's because they become widely popular, particularly among adolescents and young adults, but certainly not only among that population. Energy drinks have caffeine. They also have high amounts of carbohydrate, oftentimes, unless it's the diet version. Um, they have taurine, other herbal products, um, and other ingredients that are not always clearly labeled. And um, certainly the amounts that are, are included are often not listed. So the challenge with energy drinks is, um, is there, there are multiple concerns. One is that energy drinks have a much higher concentration of glucose, which is the simple, the simple form of carbohydrate that gets broken down through digestion and metabolism. And when there's a higher concentration of glucose, that can cause some gastrointestinal distress. Um, it causes, um, it can result in delayed um, absorption of glucose. And so we try to optimize the concentration of glucose that we consume to be between six to 8% of a glucose containing um, beverage. So most sports drinks like Gatorade, Powerade, and other sports drinks have the proper concentration of glucose for optimal absorption and seem to support our performance. But if it's too highly concentrated, we're going to see negative side effects, um, typically in the form of GI side effects. And so that's one risk of energy drinks. But the bigger risk is that it can risk caffeine intoxication. So the typical caffeine amount in energy drinks, which, by the way, is not always listed, but can range from 50 milligrams, which is a moderate amount, but up to 500 milligrams per serving. And so if someone is consuming multiple servings of this beverage, they um, certainly can risk excessive caffeine intake. There are other um, stimulants contained in energy drinks like taurine, and again, the amounts are not regulated, and there can be a synergistic effect um, with the co-ingestion of taurine and caffeine. So um, given that these products are not well regulated by the Food and Drug Administration, we do recommend that athletes particularly um, stick to what we know to be effective for enhancing performance, which would be sports drinks and other um, regulated caffeinated products, and try to avoid something like an energy drink just because we don't always know what we're going to get and how we may tolerate this product. So that is um, something I always like to point out, especially for our developing athletes. We know that for adolescents, they might be even more sensitive to the effects of caffeine intoxication. So, um, you know, stick to what you know and stick to what works for you and finding the products that can be effective. Um, you'll, I think we're going to continue to see more and more products that are become, that will become more widely available regarding caffeine consumption. And so certainly 
playing around with different options. Some people do like the gums. I've talked to some people who have tried the gums and they find that they work. Their absorption is um, is the fastest when we consume caffeine from a gum because of the, the buccal digestion and, and it gets absorbed more rapidly. Um, but otherwise absorption will, will be optimized right around that one hour time period. Some people going out for a hike might start out feeling well. Maybe they have a, a well um, balanced breakfast and they're getting lots of energy from their breakfast and from the foods that they're consuming. And in that case, they might want to delay caffeine consumption towards the end when they're more likely to start to feel fatigued. Um, Oftentimes, endurance runners, ultra-endurance runners, knowing that if they were to start caffeine consumption right from the beginning might risk some adverse effects from the accumulation of caffeine over time, they don't start consuming caffeine until the second half of their race or their event um, uh, when they know that they're going to start to feel tired. The only caveat or warning I should say with delaying your caffeine consumption is recognizing its impact on sleep. There, um, again, may, are going to be inter-individual differences. So if I have a cup of coffee after 12 p.m., I know that I will not fall asleep as well that night. But some people can have uh, an espresso right before bed and they fall asleep fine. So just recognizing how it impacts you. But if you are going to consume caffeine in the lat- latter half of the day, because of its half-life being as long as is six hours, you're going to want to consider how it might impact your sleep. If you're going to be doing an event that is going to go through the night, then there might be an advantage to caffeine consumption. It does seem to help alertness and um, and mental acuity when caffeine is consumed um, in mild sleep deprivation states. So there, again, there could be an advantage to it. But just being mindful if you're going to need to time your sleep um, because of its importance in an event, you're going to have a limited window of sleep. You're going to want to avoid caffeine consumption, um, potentially several hours and maybe even 12 to um, 14 hours before consumption, um, depending on how it impacts your ability to fall asleep and stay asleep. So there, there that is one other significant um, side effect of caffeine that, that varies by individual. And so you just want to play around with how that impacts you. So I think that hits upon most of the important points of caffeine. Um, It is something that can be safely consumed, can enhance our performance, both um, uh, explosive events, like if you're going to be running up a hill, it can help our endurance events. And so it it has a time and a place for multiple types of activities. It's just important to be aware of the potential side effects of caffeine, particularly if consumed in excessive amounts, and thinking about the form in which you consume it. So are you getting it from a um, sport nutrition product? Are you getting it from coffee? And then thinking about the amount of servings of that product so that you're managing the total amount of caffeine that you're consuming. So those are the big takeaway points that I hope that you consider as you're going up your next um, wilderness adventure, your next expedition, or just your next trail run to think about how caffeine may fit into your daily activities. This now ends our AWS podcast on caffeine and sport performance. Thanks for listening.